Rob, I can't tell you what a great job you did last Sunday. I, I got a participant. He did outstanding. I was sitting at my dad's in my dad's recliner watching online and I, I don't ever remember doing it that way, but you know what? I was, I was just blessed and amazed uh, sitting out there looking at, at, at what goes on right here knowing I stand right there and, you know, if Rob looked good, I think I got a chance. So it was just a good, it was a good day. I learned a lot and uh, I appreciate very much what you had to say. Um, Sam, when he got started here just now, uh, I don't think he knew, he may have known that I was going to talk about peace today and uh, we've been, I've been in this series, got started in this, had no idea I was going to be involved this long in dealing with uh, the kingdom of God in this fashion. Uh, I had not read the, the text that we began this series and, and with, uh, Rob did last week. I am going to uh, uh, read it again today from the book of Romans, the 14th chapter, if you'd like to turn there where it talks about uh, the kingdom of God. But um, today I want to talk about peace. And... Uh, I, 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 re I really, really, really know that peace is something we need right now in our lives, in our homes, in our world, in our nation. And today I am just praying that God will open up your heart and your mind to receive His peace. And again, I'll just get started and get right into this message in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, now catch what he says here in verse number 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. I really want to pursue the things that make for peace. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter in verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You've got to understand, he, Jesus, is our healing, he paid for you and I to have healing. Jesus also paid for our peace. Say this with me right now, would you just say, Jesus, thank you for peace. Right now, I open up my heart to receive your peace. 
Thank you, Lord. Say it. Thank you, Lord, for your peace. Now, let me begin this sermon this morning quoting something I've heard Will Compton say numerous times. I've never really just taken the quote, but it's a powerful quote, and I want to quote it this morning. Will says this, The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Now think about that for a moment. The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. Now listen to me. The first time Jesus came to the earth, he looked like us. The next time he comes to the earth, we're going to look like him. That's what Will's saying there. Such a powerful thing. In 1 John chapter 3, 1 John 3, verse 1, now remember what I just said. The first time Jesus came, he looked like me. The next time he comes, I'm going to look like him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. I'm excited about getting in this book. We're going to go from John, Saint, the Gospel of John, to the epistle of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He said, Behold, verse 1, What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, what's that next word? Let me ask you a question. This is deep theological. What does now mean? It's not sometime out there in the distant future. Now means present, this moment. Now means now. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Do you realize we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ? Now watch. Today, I'm looking at this word, peace. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm telling you, my joy overflowed last week because I understood joy in a whole different light than I'd ever understood it before. I've had joy unspeakable this week flowing in my life in so many ways. Not because of the circumstances, but because I understand He's my joy. He's my peace. He's my righteousness. All these things, when we begin to understand them, is fantastic. Now listen carefully to me. If you're here this moment and you're listening to me and you're under the sound of my voice, I want you to understand this very moment right now, the peace of God is available to you. My question is, you gonna take it or leave it? The peace of God 
is available to you this very moment. Now listen carefully to this next statement I'm about to make. You know, a lot of Christians serve a God that can't be pleased. (laughs) I run into Christians all the time and the God they serve is mad. The God they serve is angry. The God they serve is out to get them. The God they serve is just that. They believe all those things about God. A lot of Christians serve a God that can't be pleased. But Jesus and the God I serve is my peace. He wants me to have his righteousness, his peace, and his joy because he preached the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is pleased with what Jesus did? Hmm? So if God is pleased with what Jesus did and you're trusting what Jesus did, why are you focused on what you're doing? See, I, I, I realize that there's a lot of people who says, you know, I, I just, I don't understand what you're saying, Pastor. I don't understand what you're preaching. I don't understand what you're getting across. Well, I'm just trying to tell you, here's the number one thing that we have a, a, a lot of people misunderstand. I'm focused on what Jesus did. I'm not focused on what I do. Well, Pastor, I got to do something. Yeah. You got to believe that what Jesus did was enough, but once you believe what Jesus did was enough, you, you got to stay focused on that. Why? He's my righteousness. He's my peace. Listen to me say this. Let me, listen to me make these statements. I'm righteous today because of Jesus. I'm not a sinner today because of Jesus. When people look at themselves and they look at other people, they see sinners. But I'm not looking at other people and I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at Jesus. And when I see Jesus, I see righteousness. I'm not trying to be like other Christians. I'm not trying to be like other people. I'm trying to be like Jesus. So if I look in a mirror and behold the glory of the Lord, I'm going to be changed into that image. If I look in a mirror and see a sinner, I'm going to be changed into that image. So who are you looking at? I'm looking at Jesus. Look at somebody and say, hello, Jesus. (laughs) I have this moment peace with God. And I have the peace with God and the peace of God because of Jesus. Now, Rob, as I said, did a great job last week talking about joy. It gives me great joy to know that I have peace with God and the peace of God right now in my life. Let me read you some scripture. In the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans chapter five, verse one says this, therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace 
with God. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. This right here is where I get the title of my message today, He is Our Peace. Ephesians 2, 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished, listen to this, he abolished, he did away with, in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. Listen, he abolished this thing where anything is between you and God. Jesus abolished it. He made one new man from the two. I'm not in Adam, I'm in Christ. I'm not trusting my flesh, I'm trusting Jesus and his flesh that he paid the price to break the, en the enmity between me and God. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7, it says, And the peace of God which passes, surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now guys, my prayer for us right now is that the peace of God that surpasses your understanding. This is beyond the ability that people have to just totally, you're, you're trying to understand what you've got to do. You're trying to understand what you've got to do to have peace with God. And the peace of God will surpass your understanding because it comes by faith. You've got to accept I have peace with God. Look at me. God's not mad at you if you accepted Jesus. There's a whole lot of Christians that say, now, if you give your heart to the Lord, he'll forgive your sins. But if you do this, this, and this, God will be mad at you. Well, that's stupid. Why do you trust God to get saved and not trusting to stay saved? Why do you trust God to get righteousness, to get peace, to get joy, and not continue to trust him that you have righteousness, have peace, have joy? You know, he made one new man because of Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds through Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully to this. When your faith rests in what Jesus has done for you in his finished work, God simply says, because of what Jesus did, you are justified. You have now been declared 
righteous. Look at me. You are now free to be everything God made you to be and there is nothing and no one and no force of hell or the devil can stop you from being what God has made and purposed you to be and that is justified, declared righteous, declared, declared to have peace. Listen to me. Here's, here's the issue, and I want to talk about this for a moment. Don't confuse what the Lord has done for you on the cross and what he's trying to do in you, in your walk with him. See, we get confused because we try to think that we've got to walk like, talk like, act like, be like Jesus by our own strength and our own ability. And we confuse what he has done for us and what he's trying to do in us. Let me say it to you like this. Don't confuse what he has done for you with what he has done and is doing in you. Now listen, as you keep your eyes focused on him and toward him, the Holy Spirit's gonna work within you. But I have peace, I have peace, not because i am got it all together, I do everything right. I have peace because of what Christ has already done for us. Now watch. There's a difference between regeneration and justification. Now, it's hard to really understand this to some degrees, and it's kind of beyond our understanding when we understand the peace of God, but, but, but if you can grab hold of this today, I want you to grab it with your heart and understand it, but just listen, listen carefully. Regeneration, regenerated. You have been, you have brand new DNA. You've been regenerated. Regeneration, God gives us new life. We become a new creature in Christ Jesus. When we accept Christ, we are born from above. I've been talking about that in this series and I'm not the same person I used to be. When I accepted Christ, I became a brand new creature. I now am a child of God. I now have been born from above. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. I have been regened. I have new DNA. Justification in Christ, we are forgiven and we are actually made righteous. righteous. Listen to me. Justification, justified just as if I'd never sinned. Listen to me. If I'm justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I am justified, therefore, if it's as if I never sinned, why would I ever say I'm a sinner? I was a sinner, but because I was regenerated and justified, I am no longer a sinner. 
Now, help me, Lord. We can be subjective about this or we can be ob objective about this. I'm trying to say this in a way that you can understand it and receive it. Subjective places the emphasis on what man must do. In other words, I got to do this to be, have peace. I got to do this to do that. We make it subjective when some things that we have is objective when we are making the emphasis. All I'm really trying to do is put the emphasis on what Christ done, not on what I'm doing. I'm trying to be objective about this. I'm not looking at you to be righteous, to have peace, and to have joy. I'm wanting you to understand that he is our righteousness, he is our peace, and he is our joy. And I want you to be objective about it because when you become objective about it, you begin to realize I got something I didn't know I had. Yeah. Watch just a moment. We confuse, I've already said this, but just watch. We confuse what Christ has done for us with what he has done in us. Now, I'm about to tell you a story, and I know when I tell this story, there are some people, nobody sitting in here, but there are some people watching and who will be watching this that I'm going to make mad. Don't send me any letters. But I'm going to tell you a story that I believe illustrates what it is I'm trying to say. So this guy, this gentleman, is walking across a bridge and he sees a man standing on the edge of the bridge and the guy is ready to jump off and kill himself. So the man runs over to him and he says, stop, stop, please, don't do that. The guy says, why? He says, you have so much to live for. Why would you want to stop your life? You've got so much to live for. He says, well, I'm not sure I do. He said, well, can I ask you some questions? He said, yes. He says, are you religious or an atheist? The guy said, well, I'm religious. He said, so am I. He said, well, let me ask you this question. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, I'm Christian. The guy said, well, it's great, man. So am I. Then he looks at him and he says, are you Catholic or Protestant? He says, I'm Protestant. He said, man, that's great. So am I. He says, well, let me ask you, are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, I'm Baptist. Man, that's great. Me too. I'm Baptist. He said, are you Baptist Church of God or Reformed Baptist Church of God? He says, well, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. He said, man, that's great. I am too. Are you original Baptist Reformed Church of God or are you just 
Baptist Church of God. He said, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. He said, are you Reformed Baptist Church of God 1972 or 1915? He said, I am Reformed Baptist Church of God 1915. The guy said, you hypocrite, and pushed him off. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't there because I'd have pushed both of them off. Now, you do understand, I'm joking. Everybody hear me? You understand I'm telling you a joke. This is what I would call a manufactured parable. But it's designed to emphasize the danger of developing such narrow-minded concepts of what God can do and not do that you get so struck with your doctrine and what you believe that you start trusting in what your doctrine is and what you believe and what you see and how you see it and the way you do it that you fail to recognize what Christ has done for you. Now listen to me. I want to say this. It's important to have convictions that are formed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm not taking anything away from that. But it's also necessary to receive other believers even though we don't agree with their interpretation of Scripture. Do you realize when you try to put your interpretation on everybody else and say, if they don't see it the way I see it, then they don't have anything, you're saying that God cannot cover you. Are you hearing me? I, I may have made some people mad in here. You're not responding like I thought you would. Hear what I'm trying to say this morning. Pursue peace and the things which may edify one another. That's what he said in Scripture. Pursue peace. Back there in Ephesians 4, 14. Ephesians 4, 14. that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the triggering men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Pursue peace. Listen to me. I have peace today because of what Jesus did for me. You and I have peace today because of what Jesus did for us. I've been regenerated. I've been justified. Therefore, I'm saved. You know, one of the things that I keep running into 
when I talk to people in the world and where everything is, it's, it amazes me how many people are so worried about keeping themselves saved. You know, when I grew up, I know you've heard me say this before, but when I grew up, I grew up in a church and we had testimony services and when they would testify, there were so many people in the church who would testify and they would say, you all pray that I will hold out to the end. And it was like they were so afraid. You know, and I'd hear people ask questions like, I know you're saved right now, but what would happen if you did something wrong and the Lord would come or you would get killed and didn't have a chance to repent? What would happen to you? Man, that was, that was something that was going on. And, and, you know, they'd say, you all pray that I hold out. And I'm sitting here thinking, this boy here ain't about to let go. I'm not trying to let go. I never planned on letting go. So that brings me to another story I want to tell you, talk to you about for just a moment. I want to talk to you for a moment about Noah. Noah was not trying, he was trusting. Not trying, he was trusting. Noah was not hanging on to the ark, but Noah was resting in the ark. I'm saying that because I want you to get the message that I'm trying to get across to you. Noah, to me, is a good example of one whom God declared righteous simply because of his faith. God just declared him righteous. It was Noah's trusting what God had said that led Noah to prepare an ark for the saving of his household even when there never appeared any evidence of rain. There had never been rain. There was no evidence of a flood. But he said to him, I want you to build an ark. And Noah trusted that what God said, God was going to allow something to happen. And Noah put his trust in God. In Genesis chapter 7, notice this, Genesis 7 verse 1, it says, this is what the Lord said to Noah after he was finished. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Listen to me. Come into the ark. Come into the ark because you're righteous. What he was saying was, everyone who comes into the ark is going to be safe until the deluge was over. Now watch. Noah and his family were shut into the ark by God himself because it was God who come down and closed the door. Now the ark is a type of Christ. If you look at types and shadows, it is a type of Christ. It bore the brunt, the ark itself bore the brunt of the storm while everything on the inside was resting safe and secure. All you had to do was be in the ark. When you were in the ark and the storm come, the ark protected you against the storm, the flood, and the battle that was killing everybody else. 
Now, let's suppose that when the ark was finished, the Lord said to Noah, Now, Noah, I want you to get eight large spikes, and I want you to drive those spikes into the ark so that the ark has the spikes secure, and I want your family, each one of them, to have their own spike, and if they can hang on till the storm is over, they'll be saved. I can just see right now Mrs. Ham, that's Noah's wife, for those of you who don't know. I can just see her right now looking at Noah and saying, there ain't no way I can hold on during this storm. Can you understand? The storm came, the water was raging, the boat was being tossed, everything, the, 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 the boat was designed to take care and protect everything during the storm. And can you imagine Noah's family, instead of being safe and secure in the ark that they were having to hang on, hoping that if they didn't let go, I could lose my grip and be swept away. Listen to me. When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, God put you in Christ and he shut the door. Now listen to me. I wrestle with and I deal with Christ in me. But I'm not righteous and I don't have peace and I don't have joy because of how I try to live Christ through me. I'm secure in the fact that I am in Christ just like Noah's family was in the ark. I am resting, I am safe, I am secure. And listen to me, in Christ, I am separated from the waters of judgment. I've already been judged. I've already been judged. And Jesus took my sin for me to the cross and I'm free from sin because of Jesus and I'm secure in that. But you see, you still have to deal with this thing because there's so many people who don't think that the finished work is complete. I'm resting in Christ as my ark. I've met so many people through the years who just put themselves through stuff that's totally ridiculous. You know, they ask themselves questions like, when I, really, when I got saved, did I really mean it? Did I really mean that I was a Christian? Was I really sincere or was I not really sincere? Did I really confess all my sins? Did I really make Jesus the Lord of my life? Did I really open up my heart to the Lord? Maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe there's something that keeps me from being right with God. Listen to me. 
when you trusted Christ and his finished work on Calvary for the forgiveness of sins, it's finished. Listen to me. Here's our problem. We don't understand the difference between what God has done in us and what God has done for us. Too many well-meaning servants of the Lord place more emphasis on what we must do than they do on what Christ has already done for them. And I'm just telling you, it's a matter of being subjective or objective. I will tell you, Christ is working himself out in me. You know, <laughs> this past week, back in November, I got a call. Sheila had put uh, some stuff on, um, I can't remember the name of the website, where you find your family, your history. What's it called? The, huh? Ancestry.com. Well, we were trying to find my dad's mom and her ancestry and what come. That was something dad wanted to know. He said, I just don't know anything about my mom. So they, Sheila put dad's DNA on there. Well, we get a call. Sheila, first of all, gets a call. And this girl from California says, I, I have a match with Paul Farley. And then she says, I've talked to people and I have found out that a Brent Farley is probably my half-brother. Well, she said, if you matched with Paul Farley and Brent Farley, my dad's brother Sam, who is deceased, has a son named Brent. And Brent may be your half-brother. Well, we figured out and found out that my Uncle Sam has a daughter who is 55 years old who lives in California that none of us knew. Well, Brent's dead. Bruce is dead. Shelda's dead. The only one living is Brian of, of Sam's kids. So she gets in touch with Brian and he don't know. He said, Dad, I, I don't know about this. Well, to make a long story short, she flew in and met Brian last week in Baltimore. And Brian's kids and Bruce's kids and all of them were saying, we're not sure who this lady is. But when they were sitting there and they were looking, one of the granddaughters of Brent of Bruce looked at her and said, from here up, you're my daddy and grandpa, and from here down, you're Brent. And when I was around her, and she was sitting next to me, and I'm driving down the road, and she's sitting there, it was like Uncle Sam was sitting right next to me. Now listen to me. Do you know that none of her efforts made her look like a Farley? She walks into dad's house and she starts looking around and she goes, you are your daddy made over. He will never die 
as long as you live. And you know what? I don't try in my efforts to look like him, act like him, or be like him. But guess who I'm like? I am just like my daddy. Hear me say this. When Jesus came the first time, he came looking like me. If you will get secure in who you are and realize that the kingdom of God, not your kingdom, not your world, the kingdom of God is alive on the inside of you and it's working in you and everything that he has done is a finished work for you. You are righteous. You have peace. You have joy. But if you focus on you trying to be like Jesus and you're trusting you to be like him, you're going to be frustrated the rest of your life. Debbie pulled out a picture of her when she was three years old and they compared it to a picture of one of those other grandkids when they were three years old, you could not tell which one was which. Why? Because she was generated from Sam. You've been regenerated from Jesus. And he's in you. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to close. 2,000 years ago, when God looked down on Calvary and saw what his son had done, his finished death, was God completely satisfied with the work that Jesus did? Yes, he was. Did Jesus do everything perfectly right? Yes, he did. Did Jesus, I mean, did God accept the finished blood of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world? Yes, he did. So therefore, you and I have peace with God. It's a finished work. He is our peace. Let's pray. Father, if anyone under the sound of my voice is trusting their ability to live right and their ability to say it right and their ability to do it right, may they right this moment understand that you provided for us everlasting eternal life for everyone who believes in Jesus. Lord, I realize the other side of this is I work out. I'm working out, you and me, but Lord, I am secure in you. And everyone who puts their trust in Jesus is secure in Christ Jesus. So Lord, help us today to stand in Christ and know who we are and what we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. If you understand what I'm saying, make sure, make sure that your faith is in Jesus and not you for your salvation. God bless you. I love you.